This is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show, and Ella's Leash Production. Heard as a podcast around the world, but heard first on radio stations 100.7 WHUD-FM and 920-1260 and 1420-AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Shine On, bringing you healers and dreamers and people who want to make life richer. It's your time to shine on. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show. Thomas Moore is here to talk about his new book, Soul Therapy. And we're going to speak to Laura Lynn Knight, who is a parenting specialist. But all of today's show is all about being a better listener, being a better friend, being a better parent, being a better human, bringing our compassion all the way forward, listening better, coping better. So let's jump in. Thomas Moore, he's a big one for me. Yes, he's been on the show before. Care of the Soul was one of the books that just broke my heart wide open. When people start talking about the soul, I'm like, yes, why don't we talk about the soul? You know, we talk about so many things, but the soul is where it's at, baby. So I think it was Ram Dass who said, we're all just walking each other home. But in that statement, we really are caring for each other on the way home, right? We're taking care of each other on the way home. And I guess we're taking care of each other's souls. Care of the Soul, Thomas More's first book, Soul Therapy, is his new book. You know, for me, the pandemic became a time of checking in with people and seeing how they were really doing. And the conversation through the pandemic, usually during Sundays at 11, I came to realize we're all therapists to one another. We're all walking each other home. We're all checking in on each other's souls to whatever degree we're comfortable with. And that's what this book is all about. Thomas More has taken his long career of psychotherapy and put it together in a way that will make us understand how we can better serve our friends and better serve our family. Soul therapy, the art and craft of caring conversations. Such a timely book, Thomas More, and one I have so thoroughly enjoyed. But this wasn't a reaction to the pandemic, was it? Not really, although that may be part of it, because I wrote most of it during the COVID uh, circumstances. But I think it's mainly the fact that I've been a therapist for about 30 years and have taught therapists. And uh, I thought I thought all along when I was teaching that there are many things that these therapists are learning that the average person could very well learn and might help them when they're trying to talk to their children or talking to their friends or if they're a teacher or a doctor or if you're, you know, a, a relative trying to help somebody going through a tough time. So that's what I wanted to do. I could see that connection. And I wanted I thought that's something that really hasn't been written about enough. Yeah, wonderful. And thank you for giving it away so freely. Your colleagues might not appreciate the competition. You're making us experts uh, on our own. But um, tell us first, <laughs> right? Where, what's, the, what's the first thing we should know about the art and craft of caring conversations? Where do we begin? I think we begin by realizing that, that, here's the, that there's a fundamental fact about human life that when two people 
come together and talk to each other in a meaningful way uh, that can be healing and it can be very useful and can help a person get through a tough time or take the next step in their life. That's, that's a basic, it's not given, you know, it's a basic thing you have to think about. So you have to understand the power of words and the power of conversation. That if you say certain words, if you listen carefully, that actually can be very potent in helping another person. This is a subject that keeps coming up for me on this show, the, the idea of presence and truly listening. All right, here is the question for you. Uh, how do we get in touch with our own soul? Uh, well, um, there are a couple of good ways. One way is to uh, give yourself a little time out of the busyness of life, you know, because if, if you're busy constantly, it's pretty hard to be in touch with, with what's moving inside you. Uh, you know, a lot of our emotions, a lot of our thoughts, and uh, a lot of things that we're not aware of are happening with us. We wonder why we might feel depressed or why we feel worried someday. And it's because we're not in touch enough with our deeper selves to know what's happening there. So that's the first thing. The second thing is if we have these conversations that I'm talking about that are, that are more open than usual, where we go deeper than usual, we will learn something about ourselves through those conversations. They're very useful that way. I, I find it so. And uh, I say that about therapists. You know, when, when you do therapy, you're also in therapy. Mm. Uh, that means that uh, I feel being very lucky to be in this kind of a work where I'm talking to people this way, very in a very special way. And uh, as I talk to somebody else about their issues, I'm also sorting out my own. Right. So I get to know what's happening in my soul as, as a result. So there's, there's real advantage to both people in doing this work of having uh, carrying conversations, really uh, meaningful conversations. Yeah. And, and teach us a little bit about these words that we've heard but maybe don't quite understand when you're having caring conversations, and that's transference and countertransference. I've never really grasped what that's all about. Yeah, I know. It's complicated language for a very simple idea. I wanted to bring that up because I think uh, these things do happen in our conversations. What transference means, in its simplest form, means that uh, we have a tendency to to be to be uh, affected by our past experience with someone. Let, let's say maybe you've had the experience that you find yourself talking to someone, and suddenly you realize, wow, this person is just like my dad, you know, just like my father. I can feel my father's presence in this person. And that's quite conscious, but um, most of the time, unconsciously, you're talking to someone, and you begin actually to relate to them the way you might relate to a parent. You might feel yourself being a child. Do you ever have that experience where you feel, I feel like a child when I'm talking to this person? That's a transference. That's a transference from that experience in the past of being a child and talking to a parent to the present. And since it's not, it's not a, uh, very conscious to you, it can cause a lot of interference. So in therapy, what we do is try to uh, become more aware of these uh, transferring the relationships from the past or from some other part of life 
to this current situation and try to, therefore, clarify and clean up the way we talk to this person in the present. Mm. Does that make sense? It's a little little complex. It does make sense. And so if I'm, say, talking to my boss and feeling like a child because, say, my boss to me projects this parental thing, when I clean that up, does it kind of clean up the past, too? Yes. Yes, that's the whole point. If you can, if you can uh, be more aware of it, that's the first step. It's not enough, but to be more aware of it, that really helps. Because if it's unconscious, there's nothing you can do. And the relationships tend to go bad because uh, these transferences uh, very rarely are very positive. Usually they're pretty difficult. They get in the way. And um, so, if, yes, if you can sort them out and then realize, look, I don't have to be a child to this person or to anybody else. It's about time to give that up, you know, and and uh, be an adult and see what it feels like to be an adult talking to anybody that comes along. Because you realize you've been transferring this pattern. Really, it's a pattern that's transferred. The pattern of being a child to someone else who is older or more in a more powerful position. Wow. I could talk about this forever, but we're going to send everyone to get the book, Soul Therapy, The Art and Craft of Caring Conversations. Thomas Moore, isn't it wonderful how COVID put mental health back in the spotlight where everyone's talking about mental health? Yeah, that's terrific. And a lot of good things have come, and one of them has been this one. Yeah, we were talking about things that matter. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Tell us again the website we can go for more information. Uh, my website is thomasmoresoul.com, and you can get what you need there. Thanks for having me. You can come back anytime. Thomas Moore. So many things I would love to talk to you about. Care of the Soul, one of his most popular books, Soul Therapy, is his latest book, and I have to read to you page 235. Final paragraph of 235. My main rule, this is from Thomas Moore's Soul Therapy, my main rule is to love my client's soul. That is not romantic love because it's not so personal. You see the seeds of what this person could be. You glimpse the tragic events she had to go through and you feel with her. You sense the promise and the possibilities. Your love of her soul is so intense, the very fulfillment of your vocation, that other kinds of love, romance, sexuality, personal intimacy, do not get in the way. The love of soul is too big and powerful. Powerful stuff here. Soul therapy, the art and craft of caring conversations. I do have an uncorrected proof not for sale that I can send to you if you want to give me an email at casey.co. I can't send you my copy of the book because I went out and bought the book before I got my uncorrected proof from the publisher. Um, I took the book to Florida on the plane and I underlined like every sentence in the book. So you can't have my copy, but you can have this copy. I'm really enjoying it. Soul Therapy, Thomas Moore. Love him, love him, love him. So, took my soul therapy on the plane to Florida to see my mom. Spent my afternoons at the family pool. Just, you know, under the tree, looking at the clouds. And then one day, I witnessed this intense exchange between father and son. The boy was like six or seven years old. He's in his swimmies. He's dripping there on the cement. The dad is on his knees, eyeball to eyeball with the kid. And the kid is throwing out, you know, all of his pain. I hate you. This is the worst vacation ever. I want to go home. Why won't you let me do this? You're so mean. 
And the dad, I think the kid wanted to like swim in the deep end or whatever. And the dad was right giving it back. He wasn't mean. But he was giving back the same energy the kid was sending out. Like, you need to listen to me because I'm the father and I told you why you can't do this. And you need to stop crying right now. Uh, And this, you're not getting any cookies or, you know, the whole like, bam, bam, bam. It was like watching a volleyball match. And neither one was backing down. Apple tree. Okay. And in between my prayers, because I was like praying, oh, God, this, you know, praying for both of them to find a way out of this mess, because it did go on for a really long time. And the poor kid then had to sit there and time out with the sun beating down on him. Oh, my God, it was awful. But what I felt great about was I knew I was going to speak to Laura Lynn Knight, parenting expert, and I knew, Laura Lynn Knight, that you'd be able to help explain this dynamic to me. I have so much compassion for the dad and the son because we've all been there as parents where we're in that power struggle and we don't know what to do. And I'm sure the dad felt embarrassed because he's at the pool and the son just wants to do what he wants to do. And so in that moment, it's so important for the adult to be able to regulate themselves first. And I like to think of it like I'm the prefrontal cortex of the brain for my child. So if I think about the brain, I know that the rational decision-making part of my brain is my prefrontal cortex. And in children, that doesn't develop until they're 25 years old. Mm. So we have a long time with our kids where they honestly cannot think rationally. And so... If I'm engaging in a power struggle with my child, I'm not going to get anywhere, you know, and that kind of heightened escalation usually ends in the parent being like, now you have to leave the pool. We're going right now, right? Or you Mm. can't watch TV for the rest of the week or some consequence. They yell, they do something that they later regret. And so it's an opportunity for the parent to pause, to regulate their own emotions, to move from their amygdala. So both the son and the child were both in their amygdala. That's the part of the brain that's in fight, flight, freeze. Mm-hmm. So it's the, we call that like the lower part, the reptilian part of the brain. So they regulate and then he can mirror back. I see that you're really angry. You really wish you could go in the deep end of the pool. I hear that you're really disappointed about that. We're not allowed to because of safety. Would you like to go in the this part of the pool? Or do we need to go inside and take a break? Hmm. And so it becomes a whole different discussion, right? right? Because the child feels heard. They feel validated. And then you can begin to problem solve. But if both of you are not regulated, then it just turns into a fiasco. And we've all been there as parents. Right. <laughs> Laura Lynn Knight, parenting expert. You know, it really gives me a heartache to even think about this because the dad was throwing out, no, you're not going to get chocolate chip cookies. No, we're not going to go to grandma's uh-huh. for dinner. No, we're not going to go to the amusement park tomorrow. And like, I'm, I want to weep for the kid. Um, uh-huh. and, and the dad, like I said, wasn't being mean. He was just negotiating with the wrong part of his brain. 
Yes, exactly. And so many of those consequences, I think, as parents, you look back later and you're like, but I wanted to take the kid to the amusement park and I wanted to go to grandma's house. And so we don't feel good about those consequences anyway. And they almost don't make sense for the situation. I really like to think about things in terms of what's the logical consequence here. So if my child's yelling at the pool and let's say I did all it differently. Let's say I did calm myself and I did talk calmly to my child and they were still escalated like that child was, then the appropriate response could be, well, now we need to leave the pool. And that's a fair consequence because we can't scream at the pool, right? Mm -hmm. We need to just leave and take a break. And maybe there's an opportunity to come back later. But I think so many times parents feel desperate for to try and find a consequence and it's not really aligned and it doesn't even make sense to the kid in the moment because they can't think that far ahead to grandma's house they just want to go in the deep end of the pool right right and that's what i felt i'm like you're throwing Mm -hmm. everything but the kitchen sink at this kid and it's confusing the heck out of him Mm -hmm. okay but here's the thing when i want to i want to advocate for parents now it's very hard to be a parent because you have to be so 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 good at your own self-regulation like i know a mom who's super ditzy she's just she's a grown woman but she's in eight different directions at one time and she's heartbroken that her kids are a scattered mess you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like how yeah. How do you get in there and let's talk to the let's talk to the parents who know and the grandparents too who know they don't have it all together. How can they best use what you're saying to help themselves and their families? Yeah. Well, I'm so happy to be talking to the parents and I talk to parents all the time and it is really hard to regulate oneself and these tools do not just come easily all the time and it's a practice so I think the first step in all of this work is to help have some self-compassion of being a parent is hard exactly what you said and it's not easy to self-regulate and work and take care of the family and just have this really big full plate that all of us parents have. Um, I just posted on my website, lauralynnight.com, a tool for parents that want to change old behaviors and adopt new ones. And so it's really simple. It's a chart. And on the left-hand side of the paper, it's the behaviors that you identify that you don't want to repeat anymore. So maybe you notice, hey, I'm yelling too much at my child or maybe you realize I'm being too scattered right now so you write down the list of the tool of the old behaviors and then on the right hand side of the paper you write down the new actions and you can print that out write it down and carry it around with you because it's really a practice so if I'm yelling a lot I look at my paper and I see oh I'm yelling well my new tool is taking a moment to self-regulate, connecting with my child, and reframing. Right. And so parents can use that, you know, just that awareness of, oh, I'm trying to do it a different way. Because you're exactly right. What they see, they're going to model. All right. So take the pause. Check in. Um, What does 
you're, you sound so calm. I, I'm going to ask you this. <laughs> did, did you come from a calm house? Were your parents calm? I grew up with a single mom who raised me, and she worked full-time, and I often did not feel heard in my house, and I was not that calm. I yelled a lot, and uh, when I when I yelled, my mom never raised her voice back at me, but she would walk away and close the door, and that would perpetuate my yelling. So I would say that I was not calm. <laughs> At all. Yeah. No. Um, I, and my I, mom often told me that. Yeah. I'm picturing myself breaking down the door. Like, that would be the worst yes. thing you could do for me is if, yes. I, if I'm upset as a child or a young person, you're going to walk away and close the door. Oh, my goodness. There would be yes. a, there would be a hole in the door. Yes. And that was where I wanted to go. And so as I grew up and I learned more tools for myself and then I became a teacher, an elementary school teacher, that really helped me in my own path of learning, you know, how to be calm. Of course, you need to be calm when you're teaching 25 kids. And then I adopted a mindfulness and meditation practice. I had some health issues, and so I needed to adopt a mindfulness and meditation practice. And then after I had my own two children, it really all came together where it was like I had the child development piece and I had the mindfulness and meditation piece. And I knew that I wanted to do it a different way. And I had that part of me that still wanted to yell that I had grown up with. Mm -hmm. And I really had to learn, like, how am I not going to yell at my child when I just feel this rage inside of me Um, because I knew that I didn't want to act that way but I also saw that my brain wanted to go there yeah Um, is let me ask you this crazy personal question yeah has your mom seen you parent yes my mom comes over once a week and she watches me with the kids and her and I have a very beautiful relationship it's it's really incredible how well we get along. And, you know, she often says things like, well, I didn't have those tools or I don't know how to do what, what you know how to do, even with the grandkids. You know, she'll get a bit nervous of, well, I don't know if I want to watch them by myself because I don't know the parenting tools like you know them. And I've been able to teach some of them to her. And she, you know, subscribes to my newsletter and she watches my work and she's gotten even better with her grandkids. So it's really a healing, you know, because she grew up in a house where she wasn't allowed to speak or uh, really be heard at all, Mm -hmm. even more than me. Right. So this is generational, right? Yeah. So there's no way she could even have space to listen to you if she didn't even know that she she had space to be heard herself. I get it. Mm -hmm. I get it. I get Mm -hmm. it. I'm just so Mm -hmm. happy you are on the planet, Laura Lynn Knight. (laughs) Helping parents and grandparents alike and, you know, helping us all to really just be better people, better, calmer people in all situations. So where can we go for more information about you? So you can go to my website, lauralynnight.com, and it's Lynn, L-I-N-N. I think I'm the only person in the world that has an L-I-N-N, Lynn spelling name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I have a weekly newsletter there, and I send free calming tools for parents and grandparents for both the practical parenting tools and also tools for kids and I send that out every Tuesday. All right, so we're going to the website Laura Lynn Knight. 
Parfaitcast.com. Perfect. All right. Is there anything else our listeners need to know this morning? I just want to say to any parents that are struggling out there and feeling like just that shame and guilt and remorse of I've yelled and I don't want to act this way and I don't know that I can do this these teachings that Laura's talking about to just say we've all been there and to put your hand on your heart and just take a deep breath and know that you've got this you know we all can do this these tools are practical they're they can be followed and uh, we can create calmer kinder homes for our children and one check one child at a time, we can really change the world. So I'm so happy to be connecting with you and with your listeners. Laura Lynn Knight, parenting expert. Love her. We have to be the brains for our kids because the front of their brain isn't formed till they're 25, right? So we got to take the chill pill, soothe ourselves, heal ourselves, and offer our best compassionate ear to the kids. Oh my goodness, easier said than done, right? All the way around the block. Phew. All right, I thank you for tuning in to Shine On the Health and Happiness Show. For more, visit Casey.co, K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O, and you can find out about all the summer fun we're having at LetItShineOnline.com. Okay, our thought for the day is from Ram Das, who said, When you see the beloved all around you, everyone is family and everywhere is love. Shana? You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show for your entertainment only. Heard Sunday mornings on 100.7 WHUD and 920, 1260 and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Subscribe to Shine On on iTunes and SoundCloud and catch a show anytime at Casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Shine On.